And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Jeff Lenahan. will be sitting in for Matt Watson today. Jeff, what's up? Not much, Matt. How are you? You know what? I'm excellent and improving as usual. And before I let our listeners know what we're going to talk about today in your business, I do need to mention that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software development team quickly and affordably. Now, with us today, we have one of the esteemed winners of the Startup Hustle Top Startups in St. Louis, our neighbor. Uh, to the east in Kansas City. I'm excited to talk about this stuff today because it's right within my purview of sales, marketing, and and stuff like that. Uh, so with us today, Jeff Lenahan, the co-founder, president, and COO of Advocado. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, and thanks for making me say Advocado. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah so wait, wait till now, you see our I'm jackets that we have. I have a feeling they're green, very bright um, green with little avocado. If they weren't, on them. If, if they weren't, I would I would really question your ability as a marketer. But uh, so those of you listening, you know I like it when you are interactive. So go to myadvocado.com so you can see all about what these guys do. If you want to check them out on the gram or on uh, send them a tweet, follow them at myadvocado as well. So. All right, so here we are. You've got an interesting name. We know you have green jackets with with I wanted to say avocados on them. I guess they are. They are actually avocados, not avocados on them. So there are there are little agree. mini company logos on there. I, I agree. And uh, now I'm going to let you go ahead and lay out the backstory as well as like give us a little info about the problem that you guys are solving. Absolutely. So, uh, Matt, my business partner and I and co-founder and I have been in, uh, in the sales and marketing space for, uh, he longer than I, he's been in it for 25 plus years. I've been in it for probably the last, uh, 10 or 12 years. And, um, at, at one point in our business partnership, we actually owned a digital agency together and did a lot of, uh, advertising, particularly in the healthcare space. And so we had a lot of clients who would do TV advertising and, uh, we we could see firsthand because we were managing their search campaigns and sometimes their social campaigns. Uh, we could see firsthand what would happen uh, positively when uh, our clients would run TV. Uh, the challenge that we had was we could never really take advantage of it with any degree of of uh, uh, particularity. So uh, what we uh, you know and and so we we played with it. We developed some algorithms around how do we try and. Uh, you know, play off of whatever knowledge we could get about when and where TV ads might run for our clients. But um, about uh, three years ago, back in uh, 2017, uh, my business partner and I were day-to-day active in our previous SaaS startup uh, that we founded back in 2012. And uh, we were kind of getting the itch to, uh, to, to grow and build again. Uh, we had uh, hired an outside CEO in that business, and and it was growing. So we were at the right point in time to to move on and 
to our next project. And we just so happened to get introduced to a family here in St. Louis and, and they own, um, among other things, they, they've been in the broadcast business for a long time and they own some interesting technology. It's a, a patented watermarking technology that um, essentially uh, when we started learning more about it, we realized it would give us real time uh, within a second or two knowledge of when and where a TV ad was running and what creative was on that screen. And uh, our minds started turning back to our, our digital marketing days. And we said, wait a minute, that could be really powerful because if we knew exactly when a TV ad was running and where and what creative, all of a sudden we could turn around and use that knowledge to impact and take advantage of that lift that we know happens on the digital side and is created by those TV ads. And so that's where we started, right? Was um, using a client's TV ad uh, their own TV ad to power and optimize what they were doing in their Google ads campaigns. And, and that was where we, we started because we knew that space the best and it was the biggest, the biggest space that, that people play in, obviously Google being the behemoth. And um, so, you know, we, we built an MVP back in 2017 and said, Hey, let's give this a whirl. We found somebody who decided that they'd be willing to, uh, to test it out for us. And it was a, a three week TV pilot and we turned it on and we originally thought, you know what, if we could impact the click through rates and improve the click through rates that this client was experiencing by uh, about 30%, which was in and of itself pretty monumental. Uh, we said, Hey, you know, if we could do that for about a 10% increase in cost per click, we could, we could sell that. Uh, well, um, Needless to say, and, and by the way, we had a we had an A-B test to compare it to because this, this client had run the same TV in the same market just a few weeks previously uh, without our product. And so when we turned it on, after the first week, we'd uh, increased it by 34%. Uh, by the end of the third week, it had continued to increase all the way up to 98%. So we doubled their click-through rates in three weeks. And, and there was all kinds of things that came out of that and all kinds of learnings, but the bottom line was it far exceeded our expectations. And by the way, we did that with about a 9% increase in their cost per click. Um, so we said, wow, okay, we have something. Let's let's do this. So uh, we spent the better part of 2018 building it out. And uh, we uh, we ended up launching out of beta in the uh, the fall of 2018. Okay. So, and, and, you know, we'll get into some of that covering the rest of that timeline, but let me back up because I want to understand this. This is a very unique approach and congrats for finding one. Thank you. Because um, a lot of people are chasing different solutions because this was a problem. I, I Sometimes the problems that are the, the, that are the most advantageous to solve are the ones you didn't even realize were an issue. So, um, all right. So, an ad plays on TV, which, you know, can create some surge in traffic. Is that correct? Yeah. So, so you know, Google, now, Google's been talking about that for, for 10 years, right? That when you look at um, a TV ad running and then you look at what happens to search trends in Google's case, uh, in the window after that, there's a direct correlation and in increase that happens. Okay. So they're searching. Let's just say I'm looking for hammocks, Right. Um, so, so an advertiser that makes hammocks is like, Hey, I've got the greatest hammock. This is going to make your summer. But the, so the, the, the search traffic sometimes just searches hammocks, not necessarily like going to that company's site. So well, is there like latency or loss in that. And like, like you're stirring up, you're stirring up activity in the hammock space, but not necessarily getting it accurate for your own business. Is that the problem? Was that well, the issue? 
Yeah, yeah, yes and no. So here, here's the real issue, right? 94% of people admit that they watch TV with a secondary device in hand, right? So they've got a smartphone, they've got a oh, tablet yeah. sitting there on the couch with them when they're watching TV. And, and 70, 78% of those people admit that if they see something interesting on TV, whether it's in an ad or in a program, Google uh, it or they, yeah. they pick up that secondary device and they go to Google and they search for it, or they go to, or they go to Facebook and they, and they scroll through to learn more. Right. And all we're doing is that, that behavior is, is human nature that's happening. We're just allowing our clients to take advantage of it by optimizing and, and putting the gas pedal to the floor during that window when we know all those people and all that intent is being created. Interesting. So, you know, obviously there's, there's uh, interesting cases like, I don't know if it, it, we'll use the Super Bowl because why not use the, the, the biggest surge of anything? Like there was, I can't even remember who it was. It was like Volvo or someone had a commercial and, and they ran it and I tried to hit their website because I was like, oh, that looks cool. And I did the same thing like you meant the site didn't even work. Yeah. Uh, cause it was completely overrun, but I, you know, I was, uh, uh, unaware that there was, I mean, and that's, that's kind of, you know, that, that lost opportunity that's, that's really difficult to gauge. Um, so do you have to be a big advertiser to really like, cause obviously do you have to have like, is this about, okay, is this about me capitalizing on someone else's Super Bowl ad? rather than having to pay for it. And like, all of a sudden I'm like, Hey, I'm a little better, faster and smarter. So I know that, okay, Volvo's site might be down, but they were looking for blah, blah, blah. I don't know if Volvo's the right example. Well, you know what? They advertise at uh, avocados Yep. at the Super Bowl. So using avocado, I could, as a, oh my God, this is a tongue twister. As an avocado seller or marketer, I would be able to potentially increase my visibility at that point. Yeah. So I couldn't have written the segue any better, Matt. So, so uh, Volvo is a perfect example, right? So think about it. So um, we started with a, a Volvo. Let's use Volvo's example. Volvo would show a TV ad. They, they knew that they had a, a Google ads campaign going on for the S60 or whatever model, right? And so when, when they knew that a lot of people were going to be searching for a sports sedan or for Volvo or for whatever, any, any related keyword, right? They would, they would amplify the hell out of those, those keywords in Google search to take advantage of all that intent. But we've taken the platform well beyond that. And one of the places, and this goes exactly to your question, one of the places that we've taken it is we now, through introducing an alternative technology, we don't use our patented watermark, we use a, a technology called automatic content recognition, but through, through ACR, uh, what we can do is actually allow clients to um, conquest against their competitors' ads. So let's take Volvo, right? Let's say that their, their biggest competitor is the Audi A6 just by way of example, for this particular S60 model. Well, when they see that an Audi A6 ad is on, they can boost the hell out of their search ads campaign and take advantage of all the intent that Audi's creating with that money they've spent on their ad, and they can conquest it away. Or if a local Volvo dealership, right? Let's say Volvo has their own um, ad out there and a local dealership doesn't want to run their own TV ad, but they want to take advantage of that Volvo Super Bowl ad, right? They can use our automatic content recognition solution to draft off of that intent that's created by Volvo at, at the corporate level. And they can use it to drive people either to their website or to a landing page or wherever they want. 
What about non-advertising content on TV? And, you know, like, here's the thing, dude, there's 10 million channels and 10 million time zones doing 10 million things. And let's, let's use the profit with Marcus Limonis as an example. And we'll use the Startup Hustle podcast as a, as an advertiser. Like, and I've, I've wondered, I was like, you know, if I wanted to promote the podcast, would, would advertising during the profit be the time to do it? I mean, that would be a, why not? Right. That would yep. be our kind or like during Shark Tank or something Absolutely. like that, our kind of viewer or listener. Do you guys also offer solutions that help time ads around non non paid content? We do. Uh, I shouldn't say we do currently. Right. So uh, one thing that you'll uh, you'll always get with with us and our team is total transparency. So um, I'm not going to tell you we have something that we don't, but I certainly can tell you that that is part of our future. Um, to be able to activate off a variety of things. So uh, we're actually getting ready to introduce. So we look at our platform really as, as two-sided, right? There's the trigger side. So there's something in the offline world. It could be a TV ad in the future. It could be a number of different things. It could be a weather trigger, right? It could be um, a breaking news trigger. Uh, it could be in programming content, right? Um, a product placement inside of a TV ad or, or a TV program. And that would be the trigger side. And then there's what we do with it, which is the action we take on the digital side. So um, while we don't currently today have that in our active platform, um, it's definitely part of what we're looking to do in the future. Because you're right, there's tons and tons of opportunity there. Yeah, well, then that's the thing. It's like you never I mean, dude, now if you haven't if you haven't done CPC ads on Google before, like you can be pretty damn precise, you know, like, I mean, meaning like you can schedule them, you can say, show them. I could theoretically go in and schedule my ads to only show during that show. Now that would require uh, quite a bit of now, if I wanted to scale that up across like a bunch of, I don't know how many, uh, Okay, I used to buy a lot of ads before I worked for myself and then spent my own money, which be, it's <laughs> painful oh, yeah. to not get right when it's your own money. It's way easier to like work for Globocorp and, you know, kind of yeah. kind of figure out the experiments there, but but you know that that optimization is is real and if you have to scale it up now, I think a lot of people, you know, ad, advertising is often about precision, it's also about timing. Um, do you find, is it a challenge like, so uh, in an on-demand world, like with DVRs and, and, you know, Apple TV and all this other stuff, does that make your job a lot more challenging? Well, I mean, look, we all know that, um, you know, there's the, there's the classic, uh, adage out there that, oh, broadcast TV is going away. Right. And what, you know, people, people, we, we get that frequently, less frequently now. Um, but in the beginning, we got that a lot. Like, why would you build a platform that has to do with something like broadcast television, which is just getting smaller and smaller and going away and everything's moving to connected TV or over the top video or, um, so, uh, it, it, it doesn't scare us because um, there are a lot of, of solutions out there where that, that we've got in our in our roadmap that will address some of the problems that those folks have too. The reason we started with something kind of old school like like broadcast television is because because it's old school, connecting that to what we're doing on the digital side of things is in, is the most difficult gap to bridge, right? I mean, it's really easy to connect your over-the-top ads that are 
digitally delivered, that are programmatic in nature. It's really easy, not easy, but it's much easier to to connect the dots there and understand what's happening and attribute what specific digital engagement happens as a result of those ads. Uh, but at that that becomes much more difficult when you cross over into that old school offline world where where broadcast television and billboards and things like that were, live. By the way, I'm so old that the first time I had cable TV, I had the AB button on top of the TV. And the big debate was always like, do I want to get up out of my chair to go hit the B button? I remember the AB where, button. That well. might have been where ESPN was, but it wasn't <laughs> where CBS was. So yeah, I also remember my VCR with a remote control that had a cord attached to it. Dude, I yeah, yeah, not to age ourselves. I know, I right? To, I was trying to convince my wife at breakfast today that because I turned 45 one in a month and uh and I I was trying to convince her that 45 is the new 30 for men and she wasn't buying it. So, <laughs> and some of that might be because I definitely do not look like I'm 30 anymore. Now, for those of you listening, what we're we are basically discussing digital strategy. And digital strategy is the overarching term. It's also the name of one of the most popular uh, uh, podcast uh, episodes on Startup Hustle in 2020, which is just called Digital Strategy, which was part of a four-part series that I did with Full Scale CMO, just kind of talking about a lot of the stuff you're talking about, because um, dude, it's so there. It's so, the di digital world is deep, wide, broad, complex. There's a lot to it. You could spend an unlimited amount of money in an unlimited amount of space, and if you get really good at it, then you can do really well with it. And if you are not really good at it, then you will probably be better to just actually go to your bathroom and put money in the toilet and flush it down because it could be cheaper on many levels. So totally. Well, you know, look, the biggest misconception. Is that something you help? Is that something you help users with is, uh, is actually because it's one thing to have tools. It's another thing to know how to use them. Right. So, um, I mean, as a matter of practice, we are not a strategy. We're not an agency, right? So we don't, we're not buying media. We're not helping a client with strategy. We're not doing creative. That being said, the, b because we produce a lot of really powerful data, right? All of our data is real time. Um, it is extremely granular. I mean, we go well beyond data that you can get out of a tool like Google Analytics, for example, right? Which is hourly data. We, we have second by second data, um, visitor level data. And so what the way we help in that situation is not so much by helping them understand the strategy. We, we let their agencies do that, in fact. And we one of the one of the ways we designed our platform was, was specifically so that we would not have to come in and disintermediate anybody in the in the in the value chain in order for a client to adopt us. Um, because let me that's tell you, the word that's of the a, day, by the way, D disintermediate. You like that? Well, and, I got to tell you, if you can define that without looking it up, please go to the at Startup Hustle podcast Instagram <laughs> and comment on this episode's uh, uh, display. Hey, so, I got, yeah. I got to sound, I got to sound smart it. somehow. So I'm just throwing out some. I know, but words, don't right? leave, dude, don't leave the rest of us behind. I mean, come <laughs> on, man, like. This is like the no child left behind thing. I mean, come on, get, give well, me a little room to work with here, Jeff. We uh, we learned that lesson the hard way, my friend. We uh, in our last startup, right? The the biggest thing that we underestimated was um, the cost of change uh, for for our potential clients, and so uh, 
we we did not make that that mistake this time around and um so we we wanted to make sure that we didn't have to kick anybody out in order to uh in order for the for somebody or a client to bring us in so but but back to your original question right where we really help them is not so much in creating that strategy again we let the agency or their or their or their consultants whoever's creating their strategy continue to do that but we just provide them with an incredibly rich set of data that's going to better inform them in making those decisions around what their strategy should or should not be okay so that and that's good to know and by the way uh, your your website is proving my my theory correct that 1 plus 1 does equal 4 <laughs> um, so maybe you could explain that. Cause like I said, I'm at, I'm at my and it, you know, check them out on, so on, on the social medias, my avocado, I'm willing to bet that you have advocado, um, capitalized on that. That's an interesting play. So I probably won't be able to say avocado well for a while, but, uh, yeah, that, that, that word does talk, not exist in my vocabulary anymore. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. I would. Yeah, if I were you, I would. I, it wouldn't either. But tell me why one plus one equals four. Um, yeah, you know, it's um, it, it's really it, it's it's a play on that idea that, um, you know, we, we and you actually mentioned this earlier, right? We it, it, we solve a problem that um, a lot of people have a, have a realized existed for a long time, but uh, they've they've come to accept the fact that it's one that's never going to be solved because a lot of people have tried for a lot of years to solve it using a lot of different methods. And so um, they, they've just, they've come to accept the fact that, you know what, I'm not going to solve this problem. And so even though it doesn't make sense to me, um, I guess it is right. And it's going to be. And so we, we come in and we solve that, that, and we're big Peter Thiel fans, my, my co-founder and I, if you, if you've ever read his book, zero to one. Um, but, um, it's, it's, it's just, it's about solving that problem that we don't, we don't understand and we think is impossible to solve. Okay. So once again, with us today, Jeff Lenahan, the CEO or the COO, president and co-founder of Advocado, found at myadvocado.com. Um, also, the, the, the proud owner of a future trophy as being inducted into the very first top St. Louis startups class by Startup Hustle. So, and that's probably your big win, right? I mean, honestly, I I, could end today and you're like, Hey, I got that. I've never, I, I, yeah. I mean, honestly, it's, I, I am completely, I mean, my life is complete. I get it. I understand. And, and, you know, that's, I mean, the, the, uh, sense of satisfaction and completing so many people's professional, uh, goals all with one trophy. So I know, right. You know, that, and that's, you know, like I said, we're, we're taking the show on the road a little more, even though we have listeners in 190 different countries. And thank you so much for everyone out there that continues to tune in. Um, but, you, you know, part of why we're doing this is we think that there are amazing startup communities in everywhere USA. I mean, they're not, you know, and, and even though we're in Kansas City, which is like the 27th biggest media market in the country, uh, we found so many interesting people to talk to, have such a robust startup community. So in St. Louis, like what's, t- talk about the, what's the startup culture like there? 
So uh, it, it's actually, it, it's tremendous, right? We, uh, I mean, there's, there's, there's several areas where the St. Louis startup culture has really upped its game. Um, you think about areas like agriculture, uh, you think, you think about areas like um, biotech, um, those are two, probably the two biggest ones, but just in general, the, the, the startup ecosystem has, has really, really accelerated the last few years. There's a lot of activity, um, both kind of in the early stage funding side of things, but also uh, in, in support for those, for those startups. And you're starting to see more and more um, folks that touch in our space, right, in the advertising and marketing space, because you know, St. Louis is interesting. We were probably uh, next to New York, the strongest 15 years ago. We were the strongest, most vibrant agency community in the, in the country next to New York City and uh, certainly on a per capita basis. But um, then uh, all of a sudden Anheuser-Busch sold to InBev and it probably overnight put 25 agencies out of business. Um, and look, not, not a good thing, right. That, that, that kind of customer concentration existed certainly for the agencies and their, and their folks. Um, but what it has done has created a a community of people who, um, didn't want to relocate, right. And have a tremendous amount of experience, knowledge, and expertise. And, and those are folks that are, are starting to do things like we're doing in the community where they're, they're creating new platforms and they're creating new companies that, that touch the advertising and marketing space in, in different ways other than being a traditional agency. So according to, you have raised over $3 million in investment capital. Now, one of the things is we talked about, we'll call, you know, you're in this, I, I'm technically in Kansas right now. Um, that's it. where I was born. That's where I was raised, but might as well be in Missouri. I live right next to the state line. I mean, yeah. literally right next to the state line. When I dr- when I could drive to the full scale office, when I was headed north on State Line Road, I would be in Missouri, and when I would yeah. drive home, I would be in Kansas. Kansas. So interesting, yeah. interesting. My grandparents lived right there. off of uh, State Line Road, so I know it well. Well, then you know you know where I'm at. So yep. uh, sure. It, it, now, now with that, so many of our guests in the past have expressed frustration or. I don't know. They just weren't really super thrilled about the whole process of raising money for a startup outside of New York, Boston, San Francisco, or maybe Miami uh, or Atlanta. So, you know, as far as raising that money, like how did that experience go? That's a, that's a, uh, for most a sizable amount. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, tell us a little bit about how that process went and maybe even give a few tips about, I don't know, what could you have done better or what could you have done less of? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so uh, by, by the way, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, this is, this is our second um, pure software as a service startup. And, and I can tell you, um, we, we did a lot of things differently uh, this time around uh, that made the process much more tolerable and much easier for us. Uh, that's not to say by any stretch of the imagination that it was easy um, but, uh, you know, we, we, we did a couple of things, right? One is, um, we started, uh, looking for capital, um, not just in St. Louis. Uh, so we, we've raised capital from, uh, ironically, not, not any capital from the Valley, but, uh, from Denver, from New York, from, 
um, Chicago. So a variety and, and St. Louis as well. I mean, so it, we didn't exclude St. Louis from that, but um, it, it was, it was, uh, it, you know, part of it was we, we went, we went about the process um, very differently than we did last time. You know, we, uh, we worked really hard uh, with our minimum viable product to establish product market fit, uh, understand uh, and really define what our go-to-market strategy was. And so even relatively early on in our in our fundraising efforts, even our very first fundraising efforts, we had a lot of that stuff. Now, a lot of it's changed over time and evolved, but we had a lot of that stuff laid out and and put together. I, I got to, you know, quite honestly, we didn't we didn't have any of that shit put together the first time around. And um, so what it did was it allowed us to raise money from people who uh, are more than just a checkbook, too, which is which is huge for us. And, and and frankly, that's been that's been the biggest advantage we've had this time around is that when we bring an investor in, uh, we bring in an investor who brings not only capital, but also industry expertise or uh, a Rolodex that they can open up to us or any other variety of value that you can bring to the table outside of just money. Now, you know, with that, and you can get smart money without having it always be individual. So first off, look, just because you're not in San Francisco, Boston, New York, doesn't mean you can't raise capital. Uh, there's so much going for you yep. being in markets like Kansas City and St. Louis. And the first part starts with this, this is not nearly as expensive to operate here. Um you know, it's not as difficult to compete for talent, uh, your office space. You don't have to pay $4,000 for a closet. Um, and, you know, there's and, and I, I hear too many people discount their ability to get uh, a round raised. They're, oh, well, I'm in Kansas City or I'm in St. Louis. Well, first off, look anywhere because money can be well, it, it, they don't care. I mean, totally. the, the investors are looking for opportunity in some cases they may care where you're at, but really in the end, if you have a great business model and you have a great business and you're someone that, uh, that people will believe will be successful, then you got a shot. Um, and you know, you're never really going to go out there. It's like too many people. I, I talked to a lot of people that said, well, I, I just, I couldn't raise any capital. I'm like, well, who'd you try? They're like, well, I tried and they list like five places and they're all local. I'm like, dude, yeah. okay, you're like 95 applications short of probably even getting a callback. Yeah, that, it, that, that death by know. a thousand cups of coffee is uh, no matter how sophisticated you are and no matter how many times you've done it, um, you know, with, with I guess, a few exceptions. Uh, if Mark Zuckerberg wanted to go out and raise capital, he probably wouldn't have to have a thousand cups of coffee. But um but you know, for the most part, it it is it's it it's a grind, man. And I don't care how good your business model is, how sophisticated you are, how great of a team you have. Um, and I and I think we have all of that stuff. Um, it's still a freaking grind. You know, you got to keep in mind that people that write checks, uh, especially institutional type investors, and however you want to classify that, they see a lot of deals, man. Like they're going to see, I mean, everyone we've had on the show that is in that segment of life. Hey, look, I, I look at a hundred deals to maybe get into one. And we've proven that statistically with the, with the VCs that, you know, whoever that are out there. And 
I mean, you gotta, you gotta come proper and you gotta be ready and you gotta like, I don't know. I, I know the people that I know that are the best at raising money. Well, when I talk to them and they'll be like, Hey man, you, you, let me bounce this off of you. Cause I'm curious what you have to say about it. And they, they almost always will say something like, I think I'm going to have to contact at least 200 places to maybe get someone to write a check. Like they're actually almost like click through rate or cost of acquisition. Like totally. they're like, I think, and in some cases it might be lower in some cases it might be higher. And, uh, same thing, like, you know, a, fr- a friend of mine, uh, was telling me, he goes, yeah, I applied for loans at 160 banks to get funded here by one, you know, whatever. I was like, wow, but it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Well, so you got it really in the end, how bad do you want it? Totally. And, and, you know, and that, and you got to go into it, right. With, um, doing a lot of the right things, uh, before you start. Right. And cause to your point, these investors are seeing hundreds of deals every day, practically. Yeah. Yeah. And anything you can do to, to get to, to, to clean your deal up and anything, I mean, they're looking for a reason to say no, right. Cause they, they're looking oh, yeah. for a reason to say no on, move on to the next deal. And so anything you as a founder can do uh, to make sure that there are none of the, you know, there's none of that hair on, on your, uh, on your startup, uh, the better, frankly. Yeah. And if, you know, I mean, whether it's, I don't, regardless, I see so much sloppy stuff when it comes to a pitch or a plan or whatever, like, or just and a really it's, messy cap. It's really, it's really funny. Cause I, I met someone a couple months ago that was a listener to the show. And I was like, well, email me. And the guy was like, yeah, but you won't email me back. I was like, why? He's like, because I still have a Yahoo email for my, at my dot com. I've spent so much time talking about that. I always use that as an example. I'm like, yeah. don't, don't pitch me on your .com and then tell me to get back to you at your Gmail address. Like, yeah. I mean, and it's little goofy things, man. And like you said, and investors looking for a reason to say no, the same rules apply for the grant that you're applying for, for the accelerator that you want to get in for all of those things, man, it just yeah. starts to stick out. And you know, just be short and sweet. Uh, you get right to the point and don't be afraid to sell people on your big vision. I think it's, you know, the, those are some fundamentals. Um, you know, if you had to give one tidbit of advice for fundraising, what would it be? Oh man. Um, you know, again, I, I, it depends, it depends on the stage you're at, right? I think, I think there's different strategies that you have to have going in, um, to each stage it's of universal. your fundraising. Don't, don't, over, don't overthink it. Yeah, like, yeah. Man. Just give me, yeah, give me you, know. uh, you get one, you get one thing and you have to help the most amount of founders possible. Uh, I mean, I, I'd probably say, keep your cap table as simple as possible. Right. Right. Uh, I mean, that, that for me is, is, is one of the most significant things is, uh, a clean cap table and, and keep a really good data room and just keep your shit up to date and ready to go just in general across the board. Uh, and let's talk about this for a second though. Cause like when you say keep a clean cap table, like, um, you know, expand on that and I'll, I'll weigh a few things and I'll let you go first there. Yeah. So I don't think think everybody really, I don't think everybody listening is going to get what that really means. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the biggest thing I mean by that is, um, and obviously you you don't always have a choice, but to the extent possible, uh, avoid raising money at five, 10 or 15 or $20,000 at a time, right? If you're, if you're raising a million dollar round, 
don't don't raise money at 10 or 15 or $20,000 a pop, because then you're going to end up with a uh, hundred different investors on your cap table and you've only got a million dollars in your of, of capital raised. Right. So, um, I mean, to the extent possible, find find folks that can put in a hundred or two hundred or three hundred in that kind of a scenario, uh, and uh, and then again, um, you know, make sure it, to the to the extent possible that they're smart money, because um, those two things are going to get you a simple cap table, so not not hundreds of investors, um, and and also you know, uh, you want to try and. Um, and, and this is probably another thing that I would have put kind of at that high level is um, don't don't be over over overly greedy with your valuation, right? And that'll help you. Yeah, I think I, keep I that. think that that's important too. And and you know, I talked to so many people that I let's expand that to also be like your co-founders and your employees, because you know, so many times I'm I'm watching people in that early stage, and it's like an Oprah show. You get some equity. You get some equity. You get some equity. Let's create a pool of equity. And the next thing you know, you've got uh, sixteen co-founders. And here's the thing: is if you, well, first off, people get get way too generous in their beginning. They're like, yeah. "Hey, I think my cousin Randy would be great at giving being an advisor. We should give him ten percent of the business." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, and you know, the thing is, is some of these people are going to be helpful. Some of them are not. But if you have like fifteen co-founders on your cap table and only four of them are with you two years later, uh, that's a big. That's a. It'd be a big red flag for me. I'd be like. Where are these other people? Why aren't they here? What's the story with that? And it really kind of, it's kind of like that, uh, that shiny thing that can, you know, you want to keep your focus. You want to keep the investors focus on the deal, on the opportunity, on the problem, on the solution, on the potential exit or total addressable mark, something other than why is this look like a rat's nest? So, yeah, I think that, I think that my advice is just like be exact, be brief, be like, get to, get to the fucking point. Like absolutely, no one wants on the first contact. No one wants to see your 67 page business plan. I'm sorry. No, no one is going to look at it. If you can't get it all on the front of one piece of paper, then you have overcomplicated it. And remember that you're just trying to get someone's attention in that beginning. Like if you get to the point where people want to diligence you or look, whatever, then they're going to look at the 67 page part of it and probably still not even that no probably no. still not even that so yeah okay. i mean i along those lines there's a great book actually uh called get backed i don't know if you've ever read that book or are familiar with it no um, by two guys named evan and i can never remember um what their their last names are but um it's called get backed uh and man it is it is in my opinion the bible for how to put together a pitch deck exactly like you're talking about right get okay. the, get the necessary information out there but um, leave all the other shit out because nobody's interested in it. Yeah. And we've recently did a, uh, we've done, there's go through the feed. There's a lot of investor stuff in there, but we've talked, we did an article recently or an episode recently about creating a pitch deck. And we also have one, an article in the full scale blog about that. Cause I mean, a lot, like I said, like you, you, you know, your point is to talk about investment in the business and, and keep it short, sweet. You're usually dealing with type A people and they don't want to hear all those details anyway. Yep. And another thing too, is man, if I hear, Oh God, if I had to hear 20 pitches a day, Hmm. I'd go numb pretty quickly oh, yeah. on a lot of them. And, uh, and it's not uncommon for people like I've, I've seen it like three minute, 
oh, this isn't for us. All right, cool. Thank you for saving me time. Like that Absolutely. wasn't rude. That was actually, you freed me up for my own future. Okay. Totally. So what kind of opportunity is the COVID crisis presenting for either you or your users or advertisers in general? Yeah. So uh, interestingly, right, um, before COVID, things were pretty fat and happy. Uh, and y- your your average marketing person slash media buyer uh, in an organization at a brand or, or at an agency working on behalf of a brand, right? Um, they didn't have their boss breathing down their neck going, you know what? Sales are, are, are slowing or declining. And uh, so what the hell am I getting for all this money that you're spending, right? Things were good. Sales were increasing year over year, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so they were they were less inclined uh, in many instances to try something new, even though it could make what they were doing better. Uh, they were they were less inclined to to give it a try. Uh, now all of a sudden the, the the tone has changed, right? And now the CMO or whoever's uh, above those individuals is going, "Hey, not only is your budget getting cut getting cut, but I better continue to see." an X percent increase in sales with that smaller budget, or we're going to have a problem, right? So now all of a sudden they are, they are, they being the brands or the agencies are desperate to find a way to get an edge. And, uh, an avocado is, is poised to step in and be one of the tools that can help them gain that edge. Yeah. And that's, you know, one of the, if Watson was here right now, he would be talking about how in 2008 during that financial crisis, his first business, Venn Solutions, literally lit a fuse. Because, yep. uh, and we were in a very similar scenario. The economy was popping, uh, you know, unemployment was at this low, things were really cruising along. And, and that's why you're seeing so many companies right now making cuts and doing it quickly. Because, you know, when things are going well, there isn't usually like, hey, we have to be the most productive on our ad spend. I mean, you theoretically should be like that all the time, but absolutely, it it's not yeah. the way it works. Yeah. And, I mean, you're not as performance and, mindset or not as performance uh, oriented, right? So you got you got to figure out where to be smarter with the money, where to get a better return, what works, what doesn't. And that was the case with uh, that was the case with his first company, Vin Solutions. And, you know, he sold that a few years later for one hundred fifty million bucks. So I'm going to say he did all right there. Not a bad deal. Um, you know, well, and, and keep in mind for for people that buy digital marketing, you know, whether it's Google or wherever, Instagram, call it. Okay. Those are just auctions. Those are auctions. You're paying, you're bidding against other people. So um, at one point, and we had a, you know, we did an episode about Facebook ads and uh, we had a, a, a guy on here who's, you know, on behalf of his clients spends a million bucks a week. And I, I asked him, I said, I have a suspicion that CPC is way down. And he said, yeah, it's about 35% less than it was. Now that's rising back up a little bit, but yep. You know, there's uh, some of the earliest advice I got in business was, hey, when the wind is blowing, put your sails up. And when it's not, take them down. And well, I, it's time to fix the sails. And, and you know, like cer- certain things like plowing millions of dollars into your travel ad campaign uh, on March 27th. I guarantee you, you got shit results. So I, I don't know. It's about being smarter and using tools similar to my avocado. Yeah. So, well, and the other, the other place, another place that it's really presented opportunity for us. And, and this is really applicable to, to 
uh, all companies, right? Not just ones uh, in our space. And that is that, you know, uh, the unfortunate part of the of the whole crisis is uh, one of them is the the massive unemployment. But that also is a huge opportunity, right? And if you're in a if you're in a situation where you can take advantage of that opportunity, um, which we were fortunate enough to be able to do, um, you you can find some really really incredible talent out there that wouldn't otherwise be on the market. Yeah, and that's I mean that's a great point. And uh, you know the thing is 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 what okay go America go capitalism because I I often say capitalism is the cure, you know that and this is the thing and this is this isn't going to be received well by everybody listening. But times like this are highly Darwinistic, and the and while some sometimes okay if you play poker a lot you're going to get dealt bad cards. It happens, and you'll hear professional poker players will be like ah that's poker. And that happens sometimes, but there's also a lot of, a, a lot of, you know, I mean, if your business only had three days worth of cash anyway, was that, was that a super sustainable business? And, you know, so as you mentioned, so there is opportunity sometimes in failure. Um, I don't think I don't spend any time wishing for failure for anyone, but at the same time, like, uh, you know, recently we did an episode with uh, Thad from uh, uh, Flyover Capital, and he says, "Hey, look, the whole, whole, the whole, the only thing that matters for businesses during times like right now is survive in advance." So, you know, you, sometimes you pick up some pieces, sometimes you got to let a few go, and I mean, it's I, that's that's very black and white, but that's kind of the way it goes. Well, no, and I was just going to say that um, you know. Look, yeah, we have a lot of awesome opportunity that's come out of this, uh, and and we're kind of on the backside of that, so we're starting to take advantage of that opportunity. But let me tell you, I mean, the first, especially the first couple, eh, first month and a half or so of this whole COVID crisis, it, it was definitely not all same sunshine and rainbows for us, right? I mean, no. we we had all the same shit storm that we had uh, that everybody else had, and we had to deal with all the other challenges and we busted our ass to get through it and, and, and find solutions to those challenges. So we could take advantage of the opportunity on the backside. Yeah. And that's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's the way it goes. So once again, with us today, Jeff Lenahan, the co-founder president and COO, I keep wanting to say CEO. So COO, you, you can just keep you saying CEO my, and I'll, 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 uh, I'll you rub have it all my, you got my O's, you, you got my O's mixed up. Advocado. I'm, I'm, Avocado. I'm doing my best to fuck you up. If you say advocate, if you could go to my avocado and tell me about, you could make about 10,000 tongue twisters with avocado, avocado, and I don't even know if I can get them out. So there you go. now if you want to learn more about, about what Jeff and his company do, maybe improve your own advertising, you know, here's the thing is I always say when it comes to marketing, there's only three words that matter and that's test, test, test. So you're never going to know what this is a unique solution. I wasn't even aware. I, and look, I've been in the marketing space for a while <laughs> and, yeah. um, and a lot of people, if I have a superpower, it's generating hype, which is marketing and promotion. And the thing is, is like, I wouldn't even, I, I wouldn't even aware that a solution like this was out there and it, and it makes me want to try it because that test, test, test mentality, who knows this? I mean, we could crush it. Uh, my whole marketing and digital, mar my whole marketing plan is I'm looking for a crack. And when I find it, I try to shove an elephant through it. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and that's the whole thing. And, and But the thing is, is if you're not test, test, test and trying a lot of different things, don't be afraid to try 10 things to see which one, if 
one even works for you. So, you know, that's part of it. Go to my, my advocado and that's M I M Y A D vocado. Just click the link in the show yeah. notes. people. Or, or it's, um, it's avocado with a D put in there. I already forgot the word of the day. Um, so it is that's intermediated disintermediated there you um, go i would i would have stopped the episode and asked matt watson to spell that if he had joined us today i, I could um, not he's spell like that, a, rest assured i get it I, that's okay he's o for life on the <laughs> the uh the instant spelling b because i never ask him to stop and spell anything that's actually spellable by humans yeah um so once again man uh, yeah th- thanks for taking the time and congrats on making our top st louis startups list um you. Uh, you know it's uh I think that regardless of whether it's startup hustle or anything, it's always good to hear that others recognize that you're doing cool stuff. I think this is really cool. I want to check out more about it. And so with that, I'm going to head over to my avocado. See you next time. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.